You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From Easter Sunday, April the 4th, 2021, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. The text is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I don't know how all families operate, but I wonder if something that happens in my family might happen in yours. Are there stories that are on kind of repeat in your family? You know, whenever the family gets together, the same stories are told over and over again. Well, when I was growing up, uh, my family was a boating family. My dad had a boat he was very proud of, and whenever the weather was warm on the weekend, we'd go out and we'd spend time on the lake. And so one of the stories kind of hails from that experience growing up on the lake. I have an older brother who's about five years older than me, 
And so the thing that I'm about to tell you is not something that's in my memory, but it's one of those stories that's on repeat, right? And I know the story well enough because it's on repeat that I can tell it perfectly or at least with the embellishments that it's gleaned over the years. So the story goes like this. My brother was five, maybe six years old, and my parents decided it was time for him to learn how to water ski. And so when you're in the 70s and you're five or six years old, they, you don't have a life jacket that fits, so you've got a life jacket that's four or five sizes too big. So you're in the water, five or six years old. The life jacket, you know, is kind of just up all around your face, and so you're bobbing up and down in the water. And then, and then you've got these skis that are about the length of the uh, ever-given stuck in the Suez Canal, right? And you don't have one of them. You've got two gunboats on your feet. And so you've you got the life jacket, you're bobbing up and down, you've got these skis that are all over the place. And you've got a parent over here bobbing up and down with you, right? That's how you teach a little kid. And so the parent over here is barking orders. And so, all right, so what you do is you, 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 you get the skis, you keep the skis together, okay? And then once the boat starts, you, you drag your bottom, you sit down on the skis until you're ready and up on the water, and then you can, st anybody know, here ski? Okay, all right, all right. So then you drag your bottom until you're up on the water, then you can stand up, all right? You got it? All right, here's the rope. And so hold on to the rope, whatever you do, hold on to the rope. And then the boat starts, and the parent says, okay, and the boat takes off, and guess what happens? Those skis get up behind him, and then his little legs are behind him, but there's one set of instructions that he follows to a T. He holds on to that rope. <laughs> he holds on to that rope, and now he's plank on the water. He's flat on the water, and he's bobbing up and down, and for 43 minutes, he holds on to the rope as the boat spins around the lake, and they say that he drank about 74 gallons of water that day. Stuff of legends. Sometimes it's better not to hold on. This is true in water skiing, and it's also true in poker, or so I'm told. There's an old Kenny Rogers song, you may know it. You better know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Okay, a few of you know, listen to country music. Oh, we got some folks in the choir wanting to keep on, right? Sometimes it's better not to hold on in water skiing, in poker, and in life. And so Mary, on that very first Easter Sunday, was learning not to hold on. You see, she had been there at the cross. She had been there. She had watched them nail Jesus' body to that tree. She was there throughout the three hours of excruciating pain that he endured. She was there when the Roman soldier stuck his spear into Jesus' side. She was there when he said his last words. She was there when he took his last breath. She was there when he died. She was there when they took Jesus' cold, limp body off of the cross. She was there when they placed his corpse into an empty tomb. And she was there when they rolled the stone to seal the tomb for the Sabbath. Firsthand, she witnessed it all. Jesus was dead. And then the Sabbath came. She would have tended his body the very next day, except for it was against the law because it was Sabbath. And so her very first opportunity, early on Sunday morning, before the sun even came up, she made her way about two miles 
from Bethany to the Garden of Gethsemane so that she could tend Jesus' corpse. And when she arrived, she saw a curious thing. The stone had been moved. And she looked inside and the body was gone. And hadn't she been through enough She didn't know what to do, so she ran back the two miles to Bethany to tell Peter and and John, they've taken his body, I I don't know where it is. And so Peter and John then run with Mary back to the tomb for two miles. And, And John gets there first, he stops, he sees that the tomb is empty. Peter, when he catches up, he goes inside the tomb, he finds the linens that had been on Jesus' body there, lying there, vacant The facial covering that had been on Jesus was wrapped neatly in a separate location. And Peter and John, what's there to do? They, They just turned and went on back. And Mary, probably exhausted from six miles that she had done that morning, exhausted, perhaps sweaty, weeping, the scriptures tell us, stays at the tomb. And there through her tears, she looks into the tomb and there are two angels there. One at the foot where Jesus had been and and one at the head. And they say, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken his body. I don't know where it is. She turns around. She sees a gentleman. She assumes he's the gardener. He says, why are you weeping? She says, sir, if you've taken his body, just let me know. I'll take it. I'll take it myself. And then the word is spoken that changes the story. He says, Mary. And suddenly she recognizes it's the risen Lord. And she apparently goes to to give him a hug. And he says, whoa, don't hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father and then he tells her to go and tell the disciples that she has seen him, and that's what she does. But I want to I stop there. Why does Jesus tell her not to hold on? Theologians throughout the centuries have kind of debated this. One, one thought was that maybe it wasn't a physical resurrection. It was only a spiritual body. But there's a, the early church fathers said that that's heresy, and they, and they, they cite Thomas you know, sticking his finger into Jesus' side a little bit later and post-resurrection citing. Others say, well, maybe it was a gender thing. You know, good Jewish men and good Jewish women weren't allowed to touch. But there are other occasions in Scripture where women touched Jesus. There was a woman who anointed his feet and and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet. So I don't know. Or maybe it was simply that Jesus hadn't gotten vaccinated yet. And he was like, six foot, social distance, Mary. Six foot. There's a pole right there. Six foot. Here's what I think. I think that the reason he told her not to hold on was that the relationship between Jesus and his disciples had to change. It couldn't remain the same. Everything had changed. And he was telling her, you can't hold on to what you knew of me before. There is a new, risen Christ. Don't hold on, Mary. There's something deeper, something more profound, something far more beautiful than you can imagine about to happen. I've got a seven-year-old in my house. Hey, kiddo. 
He's pointing to himself here, right here. And he loves coming to Sunday school. He loves learning all the old stories, you know, Adam and Eve and Moses and Noah, right? And my favorite recent one, LaShawn, you taught him uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go, right? Or something like that. I love watching his faith kind of emerge and bloom, but, but it's very concrete, right? It's very literal, because he's not 12 years old. They say it's about 12 years old when kids begin to get abstract reasoning, critical thinking skills. So it's very concrete, and that's where he is right now. But the problem I find with most, uh, with a, a lot of Christians in America is that we stop going to Sunday school about the time that abstract reasoning kicks in. And so we never engage our critical thinking skills when it comes to faith. And so we're stuck with the Jesus that we knew when we were five or six or seven. It worked when you were five or six or seven, but maybe not when you're 47 or 67. There's a book we have at my house. It's Reese's book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And this caterpillar, he's very hungry. It's a good title, isn't it? And he eats and he eats, and then he gets to a place where he's, he's doing a bender, right? Here's what he does. <clears throat> on Saturday, he ate through one piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. And that night, he had a stomach ache, the author tells us. The author goes on to tell us that the very fat now, hungry caterpillar, enters the cocoon. But for some reason, the author of a children's book, doesn't tell us exactly what happens in that cocoon. He doesn't mention that in that cocoon, the caterpillar has to digest himself. The caterpillar releases the enzymes that will destroy life as he knows it. It has to be painful. But that's what happens in the cocoon. That's what must happen for what? for the beautiful butterfly to emerge. Jesus tells Mary, don't hold on. There's something deeper, something more profound, something far more beautiful than you can ever imagine about to take place. This resurrection thing, it didn't just happen, but it happens in us every time that we allow Christ to be born anew in us. It's a cycle. And so I wonder where, where you might be in this cycle. Are you like the hungry caterpillar at the beginning of the story, just happy, just going along, you know, just chugging along, eating whatever you want? <laughs> or maybe you're the next phase of the journey where he's getting really sick of all the stuff he's consuming. He's beginning to be upset. It's not working anymore. All this. Or maybe you're here and you're in the cocoon. It's been a tough year for a lot of people, hasn't it? Maybe you're hanging upside down and you feel like life as you know it has ended or is ending. It's hard. It's dark in that cocoon. Or maybe you're in the next phase where you're emerged from the cocoon and flying free, maybe for the first time in a long time. Where are you in the cycle of faith? Jesus says, don't hold on. Don't hold on to what you knew before. It's not going to work in the days and weeks ahead. 
See, sometimes it's, it's just, it's better not to hold on in water skiing, in poker, and in faith. So what are you maybe holding on to this Easter Sunday that's preventing you from living into the fullness of what God wants you to be? What's preventing you from recognizing Jesus anew? What are you clinging to that is blocking you from finding a deeper, more profound, maybe more beautiful relationship with Christ? Last year was a difficult year. We weren't even here on Easter Sunday. If you worshiped with us, you were watching a video. It was the best we could do as most of the country was on lockdown. It's been a difficult year. But what I hope, as we begin to emerge from that chrysalis, as we begin to break forth, I hope we don't go back to everything just the way it was. The consumerism, the, the, the injustices, all of the stuff that we have a chance to reset and be born anew. So, Easter people, on this Easter Sunday, may we see Christ anew. May we let go of the inadequate perceptions we have and claim a new life because Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Thanks for listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.